It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Today I wanted to talk about burnout, which feels like a pretty big buzzword for 2020. (laughs) And then I found myself struggling to figure out how to approach this topic because it almost feels cliche. It seems like a lot of people are talking about burnout and thus it's been trendy word. And then I also found myself wondering, does burnout have anything to do with 2020? Are we just more aware of it? And also, why do we feel so burnt out this year? I remember at the beginning of this year in January, (laughs) and actually I feel like this is kind of a common feeling for me at the beginning of years, like January tends to feel really heavy, which seems contradictory because you You'd think you're starting off fresh, but maybe it's the pressure of a new year and all of these things that we want to accomplish that can lead me to feel a bit overwhelmed. And I've talked about this before, but in case the listener hasn't heard me share this, at the beginning of 2020, I was really yearning for more time and permission to slow down. And I feel like a lot of us got that in many ways through COVID, even though it sounds kind of weird to say that, I think because a lot of people changed in terms of their job situations, whether they were losing their jobs or being furloughed or the hours are being cut back or they had to get a different job because of all those circumstances. For at least a little bit of time, most people, unless you were a first responder or somebody working in the medical field or some other job that was very essential, it seemed to me like most people were in a position where they had, quote, some extra time. And you would think that with that extra time having to stay home, whether due to quarantine orders or to take care of somebody or whatever the circumstances it was, you'd think that maybe you'd feel less overwhelmed or burnt out. But then because we were dealing with such a big change in the entire world, it almost felt like that time wasn't what we would have thought it would be, if that makes sense, where there was a heaviness of COVID and all these fears going around and the uncertainty with something brand new. So even if you felt like you had more time because you weren't going to school or you weren't going to a job in person anymore, you were working remotely, your brain was kind of filled up with new things that we've never really had to think about before. I suppose. And then, of course, like I said, there's plenty of people that circumstances actually maybe got even more overwhelming, whether their job required them to be at work more frequently to take care of people or for many parents because their kids weren't going to school and childcare changed or went away or the things that they were used to having access to were temporarily paused. For example, I think about my parents with the woman, they used to have someone come and help clean the house once a week and they no longer have that woman in the house anymore because they were trying to be safe with COVID. And so now they have to clean the house. So it's like they had to take on more responsibility. And a lot of parents were facing this with the more responsibility of their children because they weren't getting the support or their kids were in the house more often. And so I just think so much has shifted this year in ways that we, A, of course, didn't anticipate, but B, I think that it shifted our perspectives on life as a whole. And I think that that's where some of this burnout comes from. 
And then I guess I'm sitting here thinking, are we always going to be dealing with burnout? Like, is there really something on the other side of it where we won't feel burnt out? And I'm not really clear on that answer yet. I pulled up some articles that came into my inbox and and this was just from one email newsletter and it kind of has some tips that I want to go over today. But I typed the word burnout into my inbox just now and there's so many emails I've received over the last few weeks alone. (laughs) Like, Just at the end of September 2020, I have five emails about burnout and from different people and then a bunch throughout the rest of the year. So again, this this word burnout seems so heavy right now, but I'm just not sure if it's going to change at all. Like, is it going to change when COVID's over or are we just going to go to a different stage of burnout, if that makes sense, Jason? And I'm curious about your perspectives before we dive into some of the perspectives from the writers of these articles I want to address today. Well, it's interesting that we're covering this particular topic today because I feel so exhausted right now while we're recording this. I've been experiencing on and off bouts of insomnia recently and have been, as you know, Whitney, even before we started this podcast, I was kind of going through this roller coaster of months of insomnia and then sleeping well and months of insomnia and and the insomnia is back right now. And I think it weaves into this conversation about burnout because if I kind of reflect on pre-COVID, I was really kind of caught in this cycle of always feeling, we've talked about this in previous episodes a lot, about the hustle culture and trying to outwork everyone and being the hardest worker in the room and hustle or die. And so many of the contrapreneurs, that's a new term I was introduced to recently is contrapreneurs. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, but there's a lot of people who parrot the same rhetoric over and over again about hard work. We've covered this a lot and Whitney and I kind of dissecting our feelings and our reflections on a lot of these mentalities and tactics and tips that don't seem to work all that well for some people. And for me, I think for the last 10 years, really, if I really look back on periods where I started to feel like really depleted, not just I'm a little bit tired, but real depletion, I think it's more than 10 years. I think if I extend it back to 2009, when I had my catering business with our mutual friend, Mike, before he got into the solar business, I had a catering company with Mike and Ari. And I just remember so many days running that catering business and so many days on book tour or speaking appearances, doing social media, going to networking events, a lot of the things that we've highlighted as entrepreneurs and the things we've done. So many times where I felt like there was this pressure to push through, don't complain about being tired, don't complain about being exhausted, don't admit to anyone that you're tired or feeling depleted, just push through, dude, push through, push through, because it was this rhetoric that I bought into of, yeah, you got to keep hustling. You got to be the hardest worker in the room. I remember people's reaction, I think last year, maybe a year and a half ago when, when Elon Musk came out with his daily itinerary and how many hours he works and what he does every day. And people were like, oh, I got to step up my game. I got to match Elon. It's like, I don't want to match Elon because I think for a long time, what I'm saying is I ignored my body's signals to rest and I ignored my body's signals to maybe take a break and make a good lunch for myself or take a nap in the middle of the day. There's so much shame still to this day around napping and taking a break. There's a lot of shame around taking breaks and taking rests. And I think I got really caught up in that. And what this year, 2020, I think with sort of, I don't want to call it downtime necessarily, but a slower pace of life 
it's really given me the opportunity to take a more critical and loving and honest look at some ways that I've been living and ways I've been being and saying that shit does not work. You've been pushing through and thinking it's been working. But I had a conversation with a friend of ours the other day about the possibility that I might have adrenal fatigue because of, of being in anxiety and stress and pushing and keep working and keep hustling and not resting and all the things that we've talked about. I'm actually curious. I think I might want to go in to my doctor, Dr. Green, and get some adrenal tests because the long answer is, Whitney, I'm really tired right now. And I wonder if it's the accumulation of 10 to 11 years of pushing, pushing, pushing and not allowing myself to rejuvenate. And maybe my body is finally like, dude, you can't do that anymore. You just, you can't do that anymore. So I just think the timing today in particular where I'm just, I'm feeling like my battery is really low. It's just interesting that we're bringing this up to explore. But my question is like, is this really any different because I've certainly heard you say that a lot and I haven't been tracking when you've said this, but it doesn't feel like anything new. That's part of what I want to explore today is that does this ever go away? It reminds me of how it seems like almost every single year towards the end of the year, people start getting in this mentality of I can't wait for this year to get over because it was so bad. It was so hard. I bet you anything. If you went and looked up each year, there's going to be somebody saying like 2019 was the worst year. 2018 was the worst year. 2017 was the worst year. You know, it's like, do we have this kind of amnesia to things being bad and this hope that they will improve? And I think that's part of my curiosity with burnout as well is that like, what is it like to not be burnt out? First, I want to pull up an article I found from Zapier, which is a really cool website. They have a newsletter and this is actually where I found some of these burnout articles that I'm bringing up today. And Zapier is designed to help you create systems so that you don't have to do as much. So it's actually pretty cool that they're tackling burnout. It's a very like techie thing. So if any of you are looking for more systems to create for yourself, I check out Zapier and, and know I wish they were a sponsor, but they're not. I'm just <laughs> shouting them out. But this article entitled 10 signs that you're headed for burnout, which I also think could be 10 signs that you are burnt out. <laughs> they define burnout as an actual psychological disorder caused by chronic stress. It was a term coined in the 1970s, and the symptoms are typically an overwhelming sense of exhaustion, feelings of cynicism, and detachment and a sense of professional ineffectiveness and a lack of accomplishment, which kind of sounds spot on to what you've been describing, Jason. <laughs> it honestly, no, honestly, it does. Like it's scarily so. So the 10 signs of burnout are fatigue, insomnia, just like you described, Jason, addiction, loneliness, feelings of inadequacy, anger, cynicism, numbness, illness, and short attention span. And I'll describe each of them in more depth as they do in this article. And we will link to this article along with any other resources we mentioned today at wellevator.com. That's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go to the podcast section of our website, Every single episode that we have has a transcript that you can read, which is actually really helpful as a sidebar. I was referencing another one of our episodes recently to somebody, and I pulled up the transcript, and it was super helpful for me to find this particular element that I was referencing. And I just like being able to access the transcripts. But along with that, we have a resource section and links to everything that we mentioned, and those are all summarized at the bottom of each podcast episode 
at wellevator.com. So just quickly for your ears, 10 signs of burnout. So number one, with fatigue, you feel physically or emotionally exhausted. You stop exercising, start sleeping more, or fill your mind with distractions to avoid your own thoughts. That I feel like is incredibly common. I see a lot of people on social media talking about these things. But again, this doesn't seem like anything new. I think in general, people tend to be exhausted. And I really wonder why that is. Like this is one of my big questions is A, burnout ever end? And B, like how does this happen to us? I mean, we can go through these part by part. I want to make sure we come back to this list, Jason. But I suppose let's just dissect fatigue for a moment. Like I have been at my parents in Massachusetts for three weeks now, I think. And I've been sleeping so much. And I woke up this morning on a Sunday thinking I slept like probably 10 hours. <laughs> and I had this moment, I'm like, this is great. Like, this is what my body wants. I didn't set an alarm. I just slept until I woke up. Like, that's so nice to be able to do. Maybe I'm just slowly chipping away at the sleep debt that I have. But then I had this other realization that since I've been here for three weeks and most of those days, I have not set an alarm. So let's just say I've probably had a minimum of 10 to 15 days of not setting an alarm and waking up whenever my body wants to, why do I still need so much sleep? You know what I mean? Like, when is that exhaustion going to go away? When am I going to feel like I don't want to distract myself and avoid my thoughts? And so I turn that same question to you, Jason, is you seem to me to frequently be talking about exhaustion and frequently be talking about not getting enough sleep, which leads to the number two. So I guess let's bundle these in to hear your response. With number two, the second sign of burnout, with insomnia, you, Jason, talk a lot about having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. And it sounds like you probably have some bad dreams. So do you think that your fatigue and insomnia are ever going to resolve themselves? And what makes you think so? What steps have you taken? Are any of those things actually working? Or is it just like constantly an issue for you? It feels like it's a moving target because I've tried different combinations of things like taking melatonin and tart cherry juice and CBD and magnesium and kind of making this cocktail before bed. It does seem to help for sure. Also taking different strains of cannabis right before bed and having that be asleep. It's almost like the puzzle pieces of it change wherein I will take a version of that sleep cocktail or different sleep remedies and they seem like they work for a while and then the effectiveness starts to taper off and then I've got to try something new. So that's that's what I mean when I say it feels like a moving target in that I'm always needing to find different pieces of the puzzle to see what works. And I'm not so much frustrated with that as it is like, man, maybe it's a curiosity, maybe mixed with frustration in the sense of like, wow, I remember being able to sleep without having to take like six different things before bedtime. Oh, it's almost like, why, why do I have to do, you know, my GABA and my melatonin, my tart cherry, my CBD, my magnesium, you know, I'm taking this drink with like five or six things in it. I'm like, why can't I just sleep? And this is a really good question this whole entire podcast topic, because is it that I just feel this ever-present level of stress and pressure to make a certain amount of money to be able to sustain myself in Los Angeles, knowing what my cost of living is here, right? It's probably that. It's like, oh, okay, you know, am I going to be able to, to make it this month? It's probably elements of the structure that we've been living in, which I think is exacerbated by social media. Social media is not the cause of it, but social media exacerbates it. This idea of, we talk a lot about virtue signaling, 
which virtue signaling is kind of been tied to the BLM, Black Lives Matter, and being a social ally and things like that. But I think there's virtue signaling when it comes to capitalism. And I think one of the biggest things, Whitney, whether it's people who are working for an employer or you and I being entrepreneurs for over a decade, there's this, I, to me, there's been this virtue signaling of your self-worth and your level of success is tied to how hard you work. It's almost like this obsessive idea. And you and I have talked about this, maybe on the podcast or off the record of like, oh God, yeah, I'm just so busy all the time. And you know what? I don't know. Maybe I can squeeze you in, but like I have so much going on. And yeah, I worked like, God, I think I must've worked like 65 hours last week. Like people are always doing these humble brags about how they're the hardest worker in the room. And I think that is a a byproduct of toxic capitalism of don't rest, don't take naps, don't take time off. It's it's all this subconscious programming where people start to see it as a virtue of how burnt out they are. I'm not saying I'm exhausted because I want to brag about it at all. Like I'm just, it's a matter of fact thing. But to your point, Whitney, I think the things that keep me up are sometimes a conscious thought of like, oh, I need to make this much money to stay afloat and pay the rent and pay the business expenses, whatever. But then there's more like subconscious stuff of feeling like whatever, I'm not successful enough or what did I do wrong? Why is this person successful and I'm not? As much work as I do on myself, I'm still plagued by those things. And for some reason, maybe it's because I keep myself busy during the day, as you said about distraction, that at night without distraction, all those conscious and subconscious thoughts kind of just come rushing through the floodgates, you know? Yeah. I'm just having this moment of stepping back and thinking one of our big aims with Wellevator is to help people elevate their well-being. And I also sometimes feel like, how do we actually do that? Like what really works? I've been working on an ebook for my website, WhitneyLauritson.com. And it's about creating a well-being routine. And one of my favorite parts in it thus far is how there is no one size fits all approach to our well-being and self-care. And this is really tricky. It's not easy, even for us. Like we're studying this constantly. And some of these things don't feel like they're working. Like I love that visual, Jason, of that moving target. And I think it could be really easy to get frustrated and say, you know what, nothing's going to ever work (laughs) and just feel really depressed about it. I hope that as the listener, that's not how you're feeling in this moment, because I think coming back to this idea, Jason, that we've spoken a lot about in terms of the wellness world being so optimistic in some ways that are kind of misleading. Whereas like if you just follow these steps, you're going to improve your life. And I I think a lot of coaches, experts, anybody in those types of fields, like that's what we've been trained to say to people where if we can just promise somebody a solution to their problem, then they will buy whatever we're selling. But if I just don't feel good about that, I want to speak more openly about it as we are during this episode. You can't promise somebody a one size fits all because there's no guarantee. There's just too many variables and it's going to take a while to figure these things out. And I think more and more what I want to offer people is that sense of we're all in this together. We're trying to figure this out. There's no guarantee that we will get better. But it maybe makes us feel better to try. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's easy to just get really frustrated for you. For example, Jason, that you feel like you've been struggling with your sleep for so many years. So what keeps you going with it, I guess, is my next question before we get back to these 10 signs of burnout. I'm really curious for you if if it is a moving target, why do you even bother trying still? I mean, 
and I'm not trying to be negative. <laughs> I'm just like actually curious, like what makes you keep going with it, especially during those days where you're feeling really frustrated that the target keeps moving. I think it's just a mentality that I've had where I'm not going to throw my hands up and be like, well, this is just the way it is. It's going to be this way the rest of your life. Good luck. Deal with the pain. I know that chemical level, a biological level, a spiritual level, I'm an evolving being. I'm changing so that what worked for me a week ago, three months ago, seven years ago is not necessarily going to be on an energetic, spiritual, chemical, biological level what's going to work for me now, right? So acknowledging that things are always in transition, things are always changing, things are always evolving and moving. There's that, just looking at the basic fundamentals, I believe, of nature and how our nature and biology and spirituality operates. That's my philosophy around it. I think beyond that too, it's for as much as I get down on myself and maybe beat myself up, I'm, I'm still really hard on myself in some ways. I do acknowledge that I don't necessarily quit on things. And in this context too, you know, we're talking about sleep issues or stress or burnout. But the past few years, I've dealt with really, really painful eczema. And this year, I injured my foot, which I spoke about on a previous podcast, and I've been in physical therapy the last seven weeks, right? So even taking those examples of like, well, I could just throw my hands up and say, okay, I'm going to have this horrifically painful skin condition that there's, quote, no cure for, that most mainstream doctors are like, oh, it's an autoimmune disorder. There's no cure. Just live with it. Or injuring my foot and being like, what's wrong with my foot? Did I break it? Is it a fracture? Is it tendonitis? What can I do for it? I guess my long answer is that I'm a seeker, right? And I was about to say I want to know the answers, but life is a moving target. And so answers are going to change. And what works for me in this moment is going to be different than, like I said, 10 minutes ago, three months ago, or in the future. So it's like, I think I don't want to be resigned to any kind of mentality of you're just going to live this way. This is what the rest of your life is going to be like. And being, I guess the word is persistent and determined to seek out answers and direction and realize that it's going to be a fluid situation. You know, we always talk about on this podcast that life is an experiment and the more experiments you make, the better. I think that was Emerson who said that. I believe in that wit, that we have to be curious. We have to be life experimentalists. We have to constantly try new things and open our minds and hearts to new ideas and new ways of being. And I think that's my long answer is that I wasn't content just to say, well, okay, I give up. I'm done. Hell with it. I'm just going to live with it. There's a part of my spirit that doesn't feel like I want to live that way. I can't accept that as a guiding principle of life. Well, I think that's wonderful. And I'm in the same boat as you. I hope that my questions don't get misinterpreted to the listener as being cynical, which uh, leads me back to this list here because cynicism is on this list of burnout. So perhaps that cynicism that you're feeling is a sign that you're burnt out, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Number three on this list is addiction. And this could be smoking, drinking, using drugs, gaining weight due to overeating. I think that's interesting. I feel like addiction is a bit of a harsh word. So when I read that, I thought, mm, okay. <laughs> I mean, I feel like a better word for that would be coping mechanisms. Because for example, during COVID, I started drinking alcohol more frequently than I usually do. And I wasn't quite sure why that was happening because I've never really been that into alcohol. I just started to find some joy and pleasure in it, I suppose. But then I would sometimes step back and wonder, is this a coping mechanism? And I also noticed my eating habits changing and I was being more gentle on myself after doing a low carb keto diet for a little over a year. I started eating more carbs during COVID. And I remember thinking to myself, like, it's okay, we're in a pandemic and this feels really good. And I'm still doing that. 
the pandemic isn't over yet. But on the East Coast, my mentality is it's okay. I'm on the East Coast. I'm traveling. Like I'm going to eat these things. But there's always this voice in the back of my head wondering why I'm eating differently or drinking differently. And I also have wondered that about coffee too. It's like, am I drinking more coffee as a coping mechanism? And so I think it's really interesting to step back I just feel like the word addiction is a little harsh in this context, and perhaps they meant to say something different because an addiction is a pretty serious word. Do you feel like you have picked up anything, Jason, or started doing things? Like I know the other day, for example, you told me that you went and got dessert because you were feeling low emotionally. Have you been doing things like that more frequently? And how did you feel after you had that dessert? Yeah, I've talked about this on previous episodes where... I feel like sugar has been my Achilles heel over the course of my life in terms of when I'm feeling lonely, depressed, emotional, anxious, stressed, unclear, whatever uncomfortable emotion, I tend to default to something sugary. For me, it's not really been fatty. It's not really been salty. It seems to be, from a taste perspective, sugary, and from a textural perspective or mouthfeel perspective, crunchy. Like If I get something sugary and crunchy, that's kind of my wheelhouse of comfort food, crunchy and sugary. So I have noticed, I don't think, I haven't been binging per se. I don't think I've mashed the throttle, proverbially speaking, on like eating sweets like crazy every single day. But I have noticed that, yeah, I've been eating more ice cream. There's a really great bakery that I found at the very beginning of this year through our good friend, Melissa Glashevsky from Fork and Plants. She recommended uh, Cake Girl, which is dangerously 10 minutes from my house here in LA. And they've got, you know, look, it's all relative, right? Because it's gluten-free, soy-free, nut-free, dairy-free, fully vegan. They use a lot of organic ingredients. It's a, quote, healthy baked good, right? As baked goods go, right? I'm not gorging on butter and dairy and processed ingredients. But I do know that I can very much go over the edge a little bit on sugar if I allow myself to. So I guess my word instead of addiction, Whitney, that I'll use for myself with sugar has been overindulgence. I'll use that word. I think that's more accurate for me as I've been overindulging. And the other day when I was depressed and I'm like, I'm going to go get some cupcakes, I temporarily felt better, right? Like once I got that sugar hit and I felt my brain chemistry change, I was like, oh shit, I do feel better. Thanks, cupcake. But then a few hours later, once the sugar high wears off, then it's like, oh, I kind of feel like crap again. So I understand where the word addiction comes in because there's that slippery slope of, well, just have another cupcake then, dude. Like, get yourself out of this depressed state. Like, get that sugar hit in your brain. You know, get the dopamine back up. So I don't know that I've ever had an addiction problem with sugar, but I think I have overindulged. And during this quarantine COVID period the last seven months, I have, yeah, I've leaned on sugar more than usual, for sure. But is it really more than usual? I guess that's the question to ask you, Jason, myself, and the listener is how many times do we tell ourselves this is temporary (laughs) and then slip into it being more of a constant. And food is interesting. It's a challenging thing for a lot of us. Each of us have different relationships with food. And I think there's like a fine line between being too restrictive with it and too critical. And part of that is due to how our culture perceives food. There's a lot of marketing and messaging out there about dieting and what food is an indulgent. Like even for you saying that that place is dangerously close to you. It's like, it's not really a danger, but like we have these terms that we use a lot to talk about food in kind of like a negative light, like, oh, we shouldn't be having this, you know? And, and yet at the same time, 
there's certainly some foods that might be more nourishing for us and perhaps more helpful for us in the long run. And yeah, I just, I think food and drinks and drugs and all these different things that be, could be on that gray area of becoming an addiction, a coping mechanism, something that we're going to to make ourselves feel better. It's tricky because we could easily say it's temporary and then it becomes more of a long-term choice. Just as much as we can say, this is a food that I'm only going to have to make myself feel better, but I shouldn't be eating this regularly. I don't know. It's it's even hard to dis- discuss. I don't know if this makes sense, but we just put so many labels on things and each of us just have to make the determination of what we want to have and when. And, and that's why the word addiction just feels a little harsh here because there's nothing wrong with having a baked good or a dessert or whatever on a frequent basis. It doesn't necessarily mean you're addicted to it or that you're doing it because you're burnt out. I guess it's the more extreme sides of things, perhaps. Like, And maybe what this article is saying, perhaps you did have an addiction to smoking and you quit smoking, but during this feeling of burnout, you picked it up again. I mean, that that's actually literally what they said here. You pick up smoking again. You start drinking more heavily, right? So I think it's helpful to examine these things, but not be too hard on yourself if you are doing any of those things and be very clear on what addiction means to you versus what addiction means as like a definition of the word. I think the next sign of burnout on this list is loneliness. And this is really interesting. And to me, loneliness seems like a big issue. Like, I don't think this is necessarily about burnout. So it's interesting to see this on this list. They describe it in this article as feeling alone even when you aren't, feeling like no one understands what you're going through. And even if they do understand, they don't really seem to care. And I'm fascinated to read this in the context of burnout because I think loneliness is a very broad issue. And loneliness is certainly something that comes up for a lot of people during COVID because of the quarantine and how our dynamics have completely changed. And we don't know when it's going to end. Seeing that we've been in this state of the world for many months and a lot longer than people thought. I mean, remember in like April, we thought, it wasn't going to be much longer until COVID was over in the United States. Like there was this mentality that it was a very temporary thing. And now here we are in October starting to examine what the holidays are going to be like during COVID. And we have no sign of an end point. And so I think things like loneliness are really intense for COVID. But in terms of burnout... What do you think, Jason? Like, do you feel lonelier when you're burnt out or do you feel like loneliness is a sign that you're burnt out? Or is it something that you are constantly struggling with even when you don't feel burnt out? It's kind of a tough one to analyze because I think on maybe a microcosmic level, there's this idea you mentioned like no one understands. It's a reticence to talk about being burnt out because I think, again, of the shame in our society of like, sure, what do you have to be tired about? There's almost like this thing of like, no one's going to want to hear me complain about being burnt out and tired because if everyone's burnt out and tired, it's almost like there is sometimes this feeling of resentment from other people when you tell them like, you know what, I'm really exhausted. I'm really depressed. I'm really burnt out. And it's like, join the club. It's like, wow, okay, this isn't a safe space to share that. I think the loneliness might be stemming from that, right? Is that if we 
are really radically honest with ourselves, first of all, about the fact that I am exhausted, I am feeling burnt out, I am feeling depression, anxiety, or having mental health issues that are tied around this, that if I start to talk about it publicly or with my close friends and family, and it feels like there's not a safe space to share that, or it's not readily accepted, like, wow, I didn't know you were feeling that way. Is there anything I can do to help? I imagine for a lot of people, again, based on sort of this toxic programming from a highly imbalanced capitalist culture of suck it up and keep going, so to speak, that no one wants to hear that you're burnt out or anxious or depressed or like, it's like, we're all in that boat. And I think that can hold people back. The fear of not being accepted or feeling like there's a safe space to share those emotions, admitting that that's your state of being, I think that could feel really lonely. Absolutely. Of, wow, then I have to hold this in. I don't really have a mechanism or a place to put these emotions or these thoughts or these feelings, whether that's social media or whether, that, again, that's close friends and family or colleagues. I think that could definitely engender deep feelings of loneliness. That's my initial hit on that. The next sign is these all kind of flow right into the next one because number five on this list is feelings of inadequacy. And I think that kind of ties into this idea of like, no one understands what you're going through. And thus, maybe you feel inadequate because you're so alone or something like that, right? Like, so in this case, the article talks about feeling unqualified for your job. Like someone made a mistake hiring you. You feel like a terrible spouse, parent, child, or friend. And again, that that could lead to loneliness or loneliness could lead to inadequacy. But it is also interesting to think about that in terms of burnout, because I think inadequacy is another big issue. And as I go through this list, <laughs> it leads me back to my original thought of, is burnout just something that we're continuously feeling because these all seem like very common challenges that people have and long-term challenges. Like inadequacy is something it seems like a lot of people feel all the time. Sometimes it's very profound and sometimes it's more subtle and, and in the background and you'll notice it through words that people use to describe themselves or emotions. If you chip away at it, you see that many of us just don't feel good enough. That's been a very common thing. We've addressed that in our very first ebook, which you can download for free if you'd like. It's at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We have an ebook called You Are Enough. And I think that not enoughness feeling, that inadequacy is probably part of burnout. But I, I don't know, like if I felt inadequate, I, I don't think I immediately would be like, well, I guess that means I'm burnt out. You know what I mean? Like, it's interesting. What do you think about that in terms of burnout, Jason? Like, do you feel more inadequate when you're burnt out? Or again, like looking at it from the other way around, do you feel burnt out because you're inadequate? Yeah, this is almost like causality versus effect. It's almost like cause and effect. Is a perception or a belief system of being inadequate a contributor to burnout or is it a result of it? I think it's kind of both in a way. It could be because for me, this is something that has been a core fundamental struggle of my life, right? Of not feeling good enough, not feeling successful enough, smart enough, talented enough, whatever it is. And for me, I realize that that has driven me to succeed and to push myself past the point of exhaustion, as I mentioned earlier in this episode of my body telling me I need to rest or my mind telling me it needs a rest and be like, nope, keep working, keep working. 
you got to work harder. And it's coming from that idea of it's almost like a couple of the rote concepts that keep getting parroted over and over again are the idea of you need to pick an avatar or several avatars in your industry or your field to look up to that have, quote, made it and study them, be a student of the game, find out how they made it, find out how they operate, find out how they run their business, do their art, whatever it is. And the danger, if you already have a subconscious belief system that of not enoughness, is thinking that you have to constantly compare yourself, right? There's a fine line between a, quote, hero or an avatar or someone you look up to and also want to pattern your career and life after versus constantly comparing yourself to that person. And we get examples of this, of people who have achieved greatness and think, well, that must be the way to do it. If we have an example, there's a million examples, but the first one that comes to mind, Kobe Bryant, who passed away at the beginning of this year, you know, he was always patterning his game, his mentality, his style of play after Michael Jordan. He wanted to get the number of rings Michael Jordan had. He wanted to surpass him. You know, that was his avatar. And for better or for worse, Kobe had a mentality in his life of chasing Michael Jordan and exceeding him. But I kind of think Whitney is in my own world and what I've seen with colleagues and friends is they have this avatar mentality of wanting to surpass or exceed this hero they have. And it can lead to massive challenges with their health and their mindset and pushing themselves too hard. You know, that's an individual journey, right, of what where you feel your boundaries are. But I guess my answer to your question is I think the inadequacy can fuel the burnout. But then if you don't hit your mark right? You bust your ass, you try and outwork everyone, you try and hit your marks, you try and be like your heroes, and you fall short, it can feel fucking defeating. It doesn't mean you give up, but I think we all as humans know what that feeling of defeat feels like. It's like, oh my God, I tried in some cases years or decades to do this thing, and you fall short, and you fall short, and you fall short, and then it's like, mom, I must suck. I must be a piece of shit. Like I did all the things I was, quote, supposed to do. I followed roadmap. I had this avatar. I did what they did. And you fall short, right? And it is really difficult to pull yourself out of that. Not just once. I'm not talking about once. I'm talking about over and over and over again when you feel like you're doing, again, quote, the right things. And it can definitely fuel feelings of inadequacy if you feel like you've worked as hard as you can work and put in the maximum effort and done all the stuff and you still fall short. That's a tough place. And I find myself there still. And I don't know, it's a hard place to pull yourself out of. The next part of this list is anger. And I think this one is probably a great sign of burnout (laughs) is when inconsequential things infuriate you. You have road rage. You might find yourself in frequent arguments with coworkers, family and friends. And I think it's such an important thing to talk about because it can be very easy to take things personally when somebody expresses anger to you. And it can also feel really shameful or you can feel a lot of guilt for being angry towards the world or getting angry at certain situations. And I've taught myself to step back and examine both as best I can. And and sometimes it's a little bit delayed. Certainly, I can take it personally when somebody is angry at me. But part of my mental process as a coping mechanism, I suppose, is to step back and examine like, hmm, what is causing this person to react that way? And I think burnout is such a big element of this is sometimes people don't know how to deal with that feeling of being burnt out. So they express it through anger. 
And so when you yourself feel angry, you can step back and and ask yourself, am I just burned out? And is that why I'm so angry? You know, like that resentment is something we've talked a lot about. And, And going back to what you were just saying, Jason, about inadequacy, I think some people do feel really angry and resentful when they work really hard and they still don't feel like it's good enough. And now they're burnt out and they're angry that they wasted all that time doing something right. And that perception of wasting time or the perception of, wait, I still haven't achieved what I wanted. That means I have to work even harder, but I'm already burnt out. How do I keep going forward when I feel so burnt out? So I think that's a very common sense of anger is I'm just giving so much and it's not enough and I'm pissed off about it. You nailed one of my core struggles around anger is that is exactly it. It's falling into the comparison trap. It's falling into, it comes down to expectation. If I take personal responsibility for it, it's holding on to an expectation that if I just do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, and all of these things in this order and in this way and in this style, and I've read these books and listened to these quote experts and got this coach and and I have my avatar, and I'm also doing the thing about how they say you're the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with, and I'm listening to all the advice and all the experts and doing things the again, I always say, quote, the right way, and I still don't get what I want. There's really like two choices. You can dwell in like, woe is me. I'm a victim. Fuck life. Life didn't give me what I wanted. I'm going to curse God, curse the universe. God damn it. Why didn't I get what I like? I know what that place is like very much. It's anger. It's spite. It's disappointment. It's it's a really painful place to live in. Or it could be that I have an expectation I'm holding that if I just do things this way and in this order and listen to the right people and pay all those things we've talked about, then it will result in this thing, right? Expectations are very painful because we think if we just do things this way, we will get what we want. But life doesn't work that way. Life as much as I keep saying it, these entrepreneurs just follow my formula and do my 10 steps and give me 20 grand and I'll show you how to do it. Like my distaste for this industry is growing more and more because it's like, no, 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 it might work. But the framing of telling someone, if you just do things this way, you will get this result. It's misleading. It's deceptive. And it's not how life works. And I say that from my own personal experience. And there might be a listener who's like, yeah, but I did do that and it did work. Excellent. That's great. But we can't say that if you just do things the right way in this order, in this timing, in this way, there's a guaranteed result. Expectations are very, very dangerous in life because they set you up for disappointment. And more than that, in my experience, if we don't take ownership of our expectations, right? And thinking that, again, if we just follow a formula or live life a certain way, we'll get what we want. Bitterness and resentment and anger and hatred can set set in very quickly. And like I said, that's a painful, toxic place to live in. And I'm saying that from direct experience. I still, st- again, I say this, like here on the podcast, we talk about a lot of topics, but many of these topics at least for me, Wit, you know, I don't want to speak for you. I still wrestle with from time to time. It's not maybe as ever present as it used to be, but I still struggle with anger and resentment. And I have to check myself and be like, okay, is this anger and resentment coming from a victimhood mentality of thinking life owes you something? Or is it coming from the fact that maybe you had expectations that you set up for your life that weren't met? I think anytime that we feel angry or we experience anger from somebody else, it does help to step back and ask ourselves or if we feel comfortable, ask somebody else what the root of it is, because that creates a whole different dynamic within ourselves and within our relationships when we can understand it. The next step is cynicism. (laughs) 
And this is about believing you'll fail. So you have a hard time convincing yourself to start or try anything. You may also be overly critical of other people's ideas. And I think that is also not that connected to burnout, in my opinion, but maybe, well, I take that back. Maybe it is. I think it's easier to feel cynical when you are burnt out because as we've been discussing, I think burnout comes from trying something and not getting the results that you want or doing a lot and not being thanked or rewarded for it or not feeling accomplished or just doing so much even when you do feel accomplished maybe you're exhausted because it took so much energy to do it and i think that cynicism sets in when you feel resentful or when you you know as we've been discussing you're not getting what you want so you just don't feel like anything will work and to your point jason That idea of somebody telling you if you just follow their steps, you'll get what you want. And if you do follow those steps and you still don't get what you want, it can lead you to feel like nothing's ever going to work. And I think that that's a huge issue that we have in our lives is so many companies and individuals use that as a marketing tactic and tell us that if we just do this, then we will get that. And if you don't get that, then you start to feel like something's wrong with you, that you're inadequate, that you're not doing it right, that you're not good enough. And this whole idea that I've said a few times throughout this episode of, will this ever change? Will we ever feel like we're not burnt out? (laughs) Like there's a side of me that I'm not usually a cynical person, but I have those moments of wondering, I wonder if anything will ever change, if that makes sense. I don't know to me if that's a sign of burnout. It's hard to say. Just like anything else on this list, it's like, (laughs) okay, I suppose if I check off enough of the things on this list, then that will indicate that I'm burnt out. But if you take any of these things off the list and on their own, they could be completely separate from burnout. It certainly lists, again, we laugh at this because it's like we're reading a list and here we are saying like, don't follow lists (laughs) of advice that people give you, which is similar but different. I think with anything regarding a self-assessment of our own health or mental state, take everything with a grain of salt. This article is interesting in the sense that it's giving us a lot of food for thought and perspectives to contemplate with. In terms of cynicism, to me, cynicism feels almost like the opposite of enthusiasm, where you think about the origin of the word enthusiasm, it comes from entheos, which comes from theos, which is sort of divine or godlike or holy. It's it's almost like when you feel a sense of enthusiasm around your life, the things that are happening in your life, what's going on, it is almost like this divine spark of energy and joyfulness. Enthusiasm is a really incredible emotion and energy to feel. And I think cynicism to me feels very close to the opposite of that, where you don't feel divinely inspired. You don't feel a sense of joyfulness or excitement or motivation. It's just like, why bother? You know, cynicism's like, why should I bother? Fuck it. Everything goes to shit anyway. I always fail. Nothing goes the way I want. It feels like the opposite of enthusiasm. So then the question, right, is, and I think about this a lot when I feel uninspired or don't feel a spark in my life, is what can I do Or who can I be or what situation can I put myself into engender feelings of enthusiasm again? That's just what came up for me is, yeah, it feels like cynicism is the opposite of that, where I don't want to say hopeless because that feels bleak. Hopelessness feels really bleak, but cynicism is somewhere in the vicinity. It's almost like on the train to hopelessness. You're not quite there yet, but it could very easily lead to that destination. Number eight on this list is numbness. When you stop celebrating birthdays or holidays and no longer find joy in professional accomplishments. 
Hmm. I could see that being very connected to burnout. And I think kind of some of these things lead to one another. You know what I mean? Like when you feel cynical, maybe you become numb. When you feel angry and you don't feel like you can do anything about it, you become numb. If you feel inadequate, you might want to become numb. If you're addicted to something, that's a form of numbing yourself. If you can't sleep, you might want to numb yourself in order to try to get some rest. Or maybe you're so exhausted that you go numb. So this to me really feels like a burnout thing, unless it's like a major psychological challenge that you're having. And I do find that it's really interesting. I, I reflect on the times where I kind of go numb as a coping mechanism. And then I, since we've brought up that phrase a few times in this discussion, I wonder if burnout in itself is a coping mechanism. Your body just, and your mind, because it's a physical thing, mental thing, emotional thing. You get to this point where you need to stop and it, it's almost like your body is forcing yourself to stop by feeling all of these intense emotions and going numb might be the last resort. It's like, I just, I can't get out of bed. I can't go s socialize. I don't want to experience anything because I'm not finding the joy in it. And so it's easier to stay at home and zone out. It's easier to drink or do drugs. And my heart goes out to anybody who feels numb. Is that something that you experience, Jason? I don't know about numbness per se. Definitely a disinterest in, in doing things in life. I don't know if I would classify that as numbness. When I think of numb, I think of almost like a desensitization or someone being emotionally detached from life. I don't know that I've gone there necessarily. I think I definitely have felt that there have been moments where I've just been completely disinterested in things that would previously bring me joy. And maybe to your point, burnout is a coping mechanism in the sense that one of the things that I'm really passionate about researching is nutritional psychology in the sense that there are nutrients and biological systems that are directly affected in our body when we are under unabated depression, stress, anxiety, fight or flight in the sense that when, say, we have elevated levels of adrenaline or cortisol, these stress hormones that get activated by constant stress and this fight or flight neurological response, our bodies, when that happens consistently, and for most people, a lot of people in the modern world, in big cities who are constantly under a stressful existence, we're in fight or flight a lot more than we realize. And when we do have that spike in adrenaline and cortisol and feel constantly stressed, we have a demineralization effect. Our body, to try and compensate, say, as an example for a more acidic bloodstream when we're stressed out, our body is pulling things like calcium and magnesium from our bones to try and alkalize our blood when we're stressed out. So there is an effect of our B vitamins vitamins, our D vitamins, uh, key minerals in our body being depleted because our body is leveraging those minerals and vitamins to account for the higher elevated level of stress hormones. And so part of me wonders, because of the research that's out there regarding nutritional psychology of how depleted are we in certain nutrients when we have chronic stress, chronic anxiety, chronic depression? And it could be to your point, Whitney, that burnout is our body's intuitive way of saying, you need to sit the fuck down and rest. Because if you keep going like this, you're going to put us into a really compromised state. You know, the, our, our bodies have such an innate wisdom that when you said that, I was like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense that our bodies are like, you are going to lay down and we're going to make you rest so that you don't burn us out to the point of no return. So when you said that, that makes a, from a nutrition perspective, a biological perspective, that makes so much sense to me. 
I think a lot of this is about listening to yourself and this list is helpful to just kind of assess where you're at, you know, and ask yourself, is this related to burnout or is it something else? Especially when it comes to the ninth sign on this list, which is illness. It could be having headaches, feeling like you're having heart or breathing problems, likely from anxiety or feeling nauseous in anticipation of something like going to work. And again, I think illness might not be the best word here because when I think of illness, I think of like a really big health issue. Not to say that I'm not trying to minimize any of these things. Headaches can be really extreme. Of course, having heart or breathing problems. If they're from anxiety, though, and something that maybe you can work on through dealing with your emotions. And then that last one about feeling nauseous in anticipation of something. I think that's a really good thing to take note of when you're feeling because that can certainly be connected to burnout. I I have felt that way, that kind of like physical discomfort that you get when you really don't want to do something. And then you have to kind of ask yourself, like, do I need to be doing this thing? Is it worth it? Why is my body telling me this? What do you think, Jason? I feel like for you, you've talked about, was it like a heart or breathing problem that you had earlier this year? And where do you stand on that? Did you find that that was from anxiety or burnout or or was it a physical health issue? And also you've talked a lot about your challenges with your leg or and your foot. So do you feel like any of that could have been related to burnout? The heart stuff, you know, I never got a definitive answer. I didn't go see a cardiologist per se. I had been talking to our friend and colleague, Dr. Joel Kahn, who was a previous guest here on the podcast. We'll link to his really wonderful episode here on the show notes for this episode at wellevator.com. Again, it's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. He was a great guest with us right at the very beginning of COVID and had a lot of great ideas and perspectives on immunity and health. So definitely check out Dr. Khan's episode. I talked to him about the cardiology stuff, Whitney, and I may go see him when I go home to Detroit in a couple of weeks just to like maybe get a heart scan, but I currently don't have any definitive answers. I mean, I could have my suspicions around stress and anxiety with my heart, but I, I have not had any like scans done. No, not yet. I might just to like get some answers, but my heart actually has been feeling pretty good the past few months. The foot thing, it's hard to say. I mean, if we talk about it just from a simple perspective of I rolled my ankle playing basketball and continued to play basketball like like a dumbass, you know, just like, I, it's not hurt that bad. I'll keep playing. I mean, I kind of did it to myself in a way. On a more spiritual, esoteric perspective, do I think it's a message about moving forward in my life and that there are ways that I'm not moving forward in my life? Yeah, I, I definitely think that there was a message with injuring my foot of like, hey, you're you're not moving forward with certain things. So we're going to sit you down so you can reflect on how you're not moving forward. So I think that metaphorically, the lesson in my foot wasn't so much about stress as much as it was, don't let your ego get in the way, right? If you injure your foot, don't keep playing basketball, duh. But secondarily, I think a foot injury for me is definitely about forward movement as a metaphor in life. What's also interesting to me is I wasn't on the episode with Dr. Khan. I think I was experiencing burnout, if I remember that correctly. I was really stressed about something that day and like under deadline. And I remember just feeling like I couldn't handle it <laughs> and asked you to do that episode by yourself. Is that right, Jason? That's, Remembering this yeah, correctly? You are correct. Yeah. You were having a really, really hard day. I don't remember what project it was, but you're like, I just can't do it. You said, I, I don't have the, I think you said like the energetic or emotional bandwidth to do it. I was like, cool, we'll do it solo. So if you are interested in the lore <laughs> listener of this might get uncomfortable, there's actually only two episodes that we've done quote solo with guests, mine with Dr. Joel Kahn. And then Whitney did a, a wonderful episode 
episode with uh, Mark Victor Hansen where I was not present for that. So there are two episodes in our Pantheon where, where we've done solo guest episodes, and those are the two. Well, technically three, because Jake Havron's episode I did the same day as oh, Mark Victor Hansen. right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yes. Thank you, Whitney. You are correct. I did one on my own about the fancy food show without you, but that wasn't with a guest. And I, I don't know if we've done another alone, but yeah, most of these episodes, I guess since we're at episode 134, we've done 130 together and four without each other. So we're doing pretty good. All right. Well, the 10th sign of burnout, according to this list, is short attention span. You struggle to get started on tasks, miss deadlines, or procrastinate uncharacteristically. And I bet you that to me is also a pretty good sign of burnout, right? It's like you're not quite being yourself because you're not able to devote as much time to it. And that's something I've really tuned in to. I, I noticed this. I tend to have a pattern of getting off track with things or slacking quote, <laughs> when I need more rest, but I basically will push myself as much as possible to get things done. And it's like putting in the minimal amount of effort because I don't want to entirely take a break. And I think that in itself is keeping you in a state of burnout. And that leads me to reflect back on this list and think like how much of this is us trying to put effort into productivity when really we should be stopping altogether, right? Like are we feeling tired simply because we need more rest and we're not allowing ourselves to rest as much as we need? Are we having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep because we haven't gotten enough rest and our body is so burnt out that it can't even sleep? Are we drinking or or doing drugs or things like that because like we're so out of whack with the nutrients that our body needs that we're kind of swinging the opposite direction? Are we lonely because we're isolating ourselves? Are we feeling inadequate because we're putting so much pressure on ourselves and, and, and listening to the society's pressure? Are we feeling angry because we're not getting what we want because we're constantly feeling inadequate? You know what I mean? Like if you go through this whole list, it's almost like all of these things are signs and they're things that maybe we can start to shift. If you're struggling to get started on, on a task, maybe you just shouldn't be doing that task. If you're missing deadlines, maybe you need to take a break and not have any deadlines. If you're procrastinating, maybe your body or your mind is telling you like, you don't want to do these things right now. And that's okay. And I think one of the bigger messages here, and perhaps one of the reasons that burnout is so prevalent, and so common, and especially this year in 2020, maybe it feels challenging because we are listening to the wrong messages about going and going going and pushing no matter what. We've talked about in a few episodes how both Jason and I have felt like we want to distance ourselves from anybody who's participating in hustle culture. People like Brendan Burchard, who we've really admired and studied for many years, and we still enjoy him as a person. But some of his messaging around taking advantage of COVID, for example, and using it as an opportunity to be more productive, I kind of resent that. And I, I wish that I hadn't heard that messaging at the beginning of COVID because I don't think that's what my body needed. Maybe some people needed to hear that. Maybe that works for some. It's not to say that that messaging isn't good for anybody. It's just that I was burnt out at that time. I knew I was burnt out at the beginning of the year, as I said. And then when COVID hit, it was like a sigh of relief for me. And I think a number of people express this. It's like, oh my gosh, I actually have permission to sleep. I have permission to take care of my body. I have permission to stay home and not go to a ton of events. 
And it's tough sometimes because there's just so much conflicting information and we are so taught to be productive and efficient and to hustle and to never stop that stopping feels like it's a bad thing. But if you're having all of these signs that we've been discussing during this episode and you're starting to feel like you're burnt out, I want to be the first to give you permission to listen to yourself. And then I guess the tricky thing is that it might take a lot longer to recover from burnout than you think. And I would say this to you too, Jason. I know that you've been trying a lot of things to heal from some of these signs, but I'm beginning to wonder, like you might need months or or maybe a year or more of recovery time from this. Like it's, burnout is not something that you can solve over a weekend. And I think our society has trained us to believe that you just need Saturday and Sunday to recover from the five-day work week. And then for those of us who work for ourselves, have our own businesses, consider ourselves entrepreneurs, we never stop working. Like it's so rare that an entrepreneur actually takes a vacation. My sister is a great example of this. She's constantly working. She gets one day off for herself and she runs her own business and she is chronically burnt out. But she believes that she has to keep going in order to keep her business afloat. And when I think about her, I can reflect on myself and how much I think the same thing like, oh, I'll just work a little bit on a Sunday. Have I given myself a full day off or a full week off? Probably not. And I don't know if you have either, Jason. What do you think? (laughs) Boy, if I'm really honest about it, no. I mean, even if I'm examining some of the, quote, vacations I've taken, there's been some element of shooting a YouTube video, posting on Instagram, putting out a tweet. It seems innocuous, right? Of like, oh, I'm, you know, I'll just spend like a half hour or an hour on on my post today. But even, yeah, vacations have been spent posting, promoting, shooting, editing. It's really interesting you bring this up because I don't know that I have detached myself fully from this in the last decade plus. It's really interesting. So then doesn't it make sense that you're burnt out? Like maybe I'm answering my big question from the beginning of this episode, which is like, do we ever not feel burnt out? And I suppose that's a very personal individual thing. And maybe I'm asking that because I feel burnt out all the time. Like I've maybe even a low grade feeling of burnt out. And I just think that that's the normal. But I don't know if that is normal (laughs) to feel that way. Perhaps as a society, as a culture, that's normal for us to be burnt out. Just like I see a lot of parents who seem exhausted all the time. And they're like, yep, that's part of being a parent. I'm always exhausted. I'm never taking care of myself. But I don't know if that's true. I don't know if parenting is defined by that. I think that's an American or a Western way of living. But we don't have to do that. That isn't how life is designed. We're kind of all creating it. And then we're listening to one another and we're studying each other and modeling ourselves after each other's patterns. And we're looking at these people like Brendan Burchard, who bless his heart, you know, means very well. Same with Gary Vaynerchuk. But if you listen to enough of those people that are constantly telling you to hustle, it's really hard to listen to somebody who tells you it's okay to take a break. I think most of us won't stop until we are injured to the point where we have to stop. Like, I think that insomnia we've been talking about is probably the result of our bodies being just so depleted. And so, of course, we're going to feel lonely and anxious and angry and inadequate and numb or cynical, or we're going to get these illnesses because it's like, how else are we going to listen to ourselves if we're constantly denying ourselves from the break that our 
bodies and minds really need. And so for me, just through talking this out today, I've seen this so much, like hearing you describe, Jason, that constant need to be doing something during a vacation. I felt this resentment during this trip that I'm on of people asking me, very frequently, like, when am I going to do something? I'm like, I'm traveling. <laughs> and yet to other people, they don't care that I'm traveling. They think that I should still be working all the time. They don't care that I'm with my family, which is a rare thing for me, given that my family lives across the country. It doesn't matter that this is a special time for me. People still expect me to work. Or is this self-imposed? That's the next question is maybe people don't actually care if I work or not. Maybe they don't care if I take a break. But in my head, I believe that they care. And so I'm the one pushing myself this far all the time. And it's just like if you work a job and have a boss, a lot of people don't feel like they're allowed to take sick days, even though that's part of your job. Many jobs offer vacation days, but most people never take them or take only a few of them. And they're wasting all of this time and money by not taking sick or vacation days that we're allowed to have. We're given these things. And yet we have created this culture of productivity. And in our heads, we feel like like if we allow ourselves to be sick, if we allow ourselves to go on vacation and not check our email, then we're not going to get ahead and we're not going to get what we want. But technically, we're doing ourselves a huge disservice because if we're burnt out, we're just not going to be as happy. We're not going to be as vibrant. We're not going to get enough sleep. So we're physically doing ourselves a big disservice. Perhaps we're over-caffeinated in order to deal with the exhaustion and we're eating all of these foods that aren't very nutritious. And so our bodies are depleted. <laughs> so if we really step back and examine this, this is not a good way to live. And I hope that I can reflect on this big conversation myself and re-examine the way that I'm doing things and, and try to do it differently. But it's tough. It's tough to disconnect from this matrix that we've all been in. That's a wonderful summary. It is tough. It's tough when you have been taught that a certain way of being, living, working, hustling, focusing, patterning, studying, all these virtues that society, industry, family, religion, teachers, there's a lot of layers to program. We're all programmed, first of all right? Is this idea of like, oh, I'm one of the big things this year is like, have you been red-pilled? Like everyone's like, oh, have you been red-pilled? It's like, get your fucking ego out of the way for two seconds, okay? Like we're all programmed. Are we deprogramming? Yes. And I think for those of us who realize how programmed we are and asking whether or not we want to be consciously or subconsciously enslaved to these outdated programs that no longer really serve us, that's an ongoing exploration. But this whole, and we've talked about this ongoing on our blog on wellevator.com, we've talked about here on the podcast of this idea of wokeness, right? Of like, I'm woke. No, you're not. You're on a path of awakening, but there's not some arrival or destination of I'm woke now, right? Like now I'm this ascended master avatar being who knows all, like check your ego. You're on a path of self-exploration and self-knowledge, right? That's more accurate. Like that's more honest. And for all of us and for you, dear listener, if you're listening, you probably are on that path too of like awakening. And as you realize that maybe there are patterns and ways of being, ways of living your life that really not just no longer serve you, but that are depleting you, that are damaging you. Then it's the question of, okay, 
I'm aware of these patterns, but what do I want to do about it now? Right. And I, I think this conversation today, Whitney, has been so beneficial because it's like a deeper level of awareness of like, wow, I didn't realize that every vacation I've been on for the last decade, I've been working. Like I've never fully unplugged myself. I've never fully detached from that matrix. That's a big level of awareness of like, holy shit. The question is now, what do we want to do about it? Right. How do we want to deprogram from those old belief systems? What do we want to replace them with? And maybe the big thing here today is hard work and success and accomplishment at all cost is perhaps not a healthy way to live. Some people, maybe they perceive that it is. Maybe the possibility of the payday, the accolades, the success, and the wins at the end of that journey is worth ignoring your health, is worth ignoring your body's intuition, is worth maybe ignoring your family or friend connections. People have different value metrics in life, but I certainly, and I feel like you are too, Whitney, getting at the point that sacrificing our health, sacrificing our rest, sacrificing our mental well-being, and deep, lasting, loving connections in life is not worth the proverbial carrot of success, wealth, notoriety, fame at the end of that. Like, I know that I personally don't want to sacrifice those things anymore. I'm so over it and I'm so done. And I think this is just, I love the phrase food for thought. It's like for each one of us as individuals to contemplate our journey and whether or not how we're living our lives is really how we want to be living our lives. I think that's the biggest takeaway from this conversation. So yeah, I don't know. That's just where I'm at with it, Wit. <laughs> And for you, dear listener, it certainly is looking at this as there's no end point to the journey. So we certainly don't see this conversation or this podcast or this self-exploration as having an end point. You know what I mean? And that's what I meant about that. I wanted to clarify my slight bit of vitriol around the ego around wokeness. It's like there's no destination. It's just a constant unfolding journey. I and mean, that's certainly our perspective. Perhaps you share that perspective as well. Well, I think this is a good time to bring up our little brand plug today, which is this company called Peak Tea. And this is something I've actually been thinking of drinking <laughs> a lot recently. And I struggle switching from coffee to tea. But one of my favorite teas to drink that almost instantly makes me feel better is Peak Tea is jasmine tea. And I think it's because there's something energetic about this formulation that like just makes me feel good. It's something about the packaging and it's the the way that they crystallize these tea leaves and it's just like instantaneous. I think that's the other big appeal to me is especially their jasmine tea because they have a few different, actually many different types of tea that they make. So I should step back and just describe what they are in a basic level. Peak tea is organic powdered or crystal teas. So they're in these little packets and you put them in hot or cold water depending on which type of tea that you're you're drinking. And I really love the organic jasmine tea because that can go in either hot or cold. So no matter how I want to drink it or what type of water I have access to, I can instantly have this incredible organic tea. And for me, the taste of jasmine tea is so soothing. And Peak in general is really about purity. They triple screen their teas for pesticides, heavy metals, and toxic mold, which, by the way, some teas contain these things, which is a little freaky because when I think of tea, I think of like, all teas are great, but not all teas are created equally, unfortunately. So you really want to pay attention to the teas that you're drinking. And they're also about full spectrum health. So in addition to being really fine tea, 
cheese. They're also often infused with superfoods and they're designed to help your digestion, your immune system, and to give you that calm energy. So again, if you're looking for something to soothe you during these times of burnout or stress, this is a really great option for you. And it's part of my little kit. (laughs) So whenever I'm feeling burned out, I go through this checklist. First, I examine my emotions and the signs as we've described today. And then I start to look for things that I have in my home that'll make me feel better. And so sometimes that's essential oils. I like the smell of essential oils or candles, incense, anything that smells really good, that aromatherapy is really helpful. But I also really like to take something, to drink something or eat something that makes me feel good. And tea is one of the best things for me to feel more calm. And then if I want some sort of energy, I can have a caffeinated tea like that jasmine tea I described. And they have a turmeric formulation that's really amazing. They have all of these different Ayurvedic blends. They have organic and ceremonial grade matcha, which is pretty incredible. I actually haven't tried it yet. I've been really wanting to, but but there are so many peak tea options now. It's hard to keep up. I've had their English breakfast and... What is the other one? What's the one, Jason, that's typically in um, Earl Grey? That's what I was thinking. It's it's in a latte that's really soothing, but I can't remember the name of that latte. English Fog or something like that. It's an Earl Grey tea, which just has like such a soothing (laughs) way about it. Don't you think, Jason? I mean, tea in general is just like when you're feeling stressed out, having a hot cup of tea or an iced tea, if you're in the mood for it, is like so incredible. Yeah, it's almost like we get a moment to ourselves to be, as long as we're not having that tea and like scrolling through our phones, I think it's not just the aroma and the ritual of it. It's almost like we're giving ourselves permission to take a few moments out of the day for ourselves, which is part and parcel of this whole conversation today of how do we unplug and detach from this burnout cycle and take more time for ourselves to rejuvenate. I love tea. I mean, I'm a big fan of different varietals of of poor tea and through our dear friend Adam Yasmin, who we've mentioned many times, who's a, a tea master. And yeah, I'm right there with you. I actually love going to tea houses and trying new teas. And I don't know if I would call myself like a connoisseur or an aficionado to that degree, but I don't know. I, I always get a lot of joyfulness from sitting down and and making a ceremony out of having tea. Yes. And for you, dear listener, if you want to try any of the amazing varietals of peak tea, my favorite combination, by the way, is half and half jasmine and hibiscus. I love putting that combination together. The flavor profile and the energetics of it are just phenomenal. And if you want to get your own peak tea, we actually have a discount code for you. If you go to peak tea's website, you can use the code wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And you can save, not .com, sorry. Wow, I was quoting the website. Just the code is wellevator. W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. <laughs> and you'll save yourself 5% on any of their really delicious, flavorful, and energizing varietals. And also, if you go to wellevator.com, we have the direct link to Peak Tea there, and we also have it for you in the show notes for this episode. So it's very easy to find and really easy to save yourself some cash on one of our favorite brands. With that, Whitney, I do believe we are reaching the end of this episode. It has been yet another deep dive and exploration and Hopefully for you, dear listener, giving you some things to ruminate and contemplate and disseminate as it has for us. We are always big fans of cracking open more conversations. If this episode has resonated with you, we always love to hear from you directly. Our email address is hello at wellevator.com. And we also love hearing from you through your comments on the show notes or reaching us on social media. We are on all of the big platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, 
YouTube and TikTok. It's at Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. So to keep the dialogue going, feel free to reach out to us. We respond directly. We do not have a bot. We do not have a person in some other country who is uh, responding on our behalf. We are the ones directly responding to you, dear listeners. So we thank you for your support, your listenership. If you feel compelled and moved to, we love, 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 love having reviews from you on Apple Podcasts. We think I think at this point we were over, I don't even know how many reviews, 50, 51 reviews. They've all been really wonderful. We actually have one not so wonderful review, but overall they've been really, really great. So again, if you feel enthusiastic and joyful to leave us a review, we would appreciate that. And we will be back again as we do three episodes every single week. No sign of stopping anytime soon. Uh, we'll be back with a new batch of episodes for you very, very soon. Actually, in just a couple days. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.